Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today's case is out of the Kansas City, Missouri area. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. In the summer of 2022, Bishop Tony Caldwell, a respected leader in the Kansas City community, started getting information about seven different women who had either gone missing or were found murdered along Prospect Avenue in Kansas City. He's closely connected with the community and people do tend to feel more comfortable sharing information with him than they would the police. And honestly, he just seems like a really approachable guy. Bishop Caldwell was pretty shaken up about all the information he was getting. So he and other community leaders went to the police about the women. But according to Bishop Caldwell, the police didn't take any action. For whatever reason, it didn't seem like they were as concerned as he was. And he was extremely concerned. Feeling desperate to make sure the world knew what was going on, he reached out to the Kansas City Defender, which is a nonprofit news organization, and he was hoping that they could do something with this information. This was an issue of safety at this point, and thankfully, the Kansas City Defender was 100% on board. In mid-September, the Defender turned to TikTok and shared a video where Bishop Caldwell told the world, I'm really upset right now, and the reason I'm upset is we've got four young ladies that have been murdered within the last week here off of 85th and Prospect. We've got a serial killer again. He went on to say that on top of the four women murdered, there were three still missing and the media wasn't talking about it. He was pissed and he should have been. Everyone should have been. He asked where the community leaders were, where the activists were, where the public officials were and where the police department was. He was adamant that something terrible was going on and someone needed to do something to stop it. The video was only a minute long and no names were shared, but through later reporting, we learned that one of them was a woman named Serena Truitt. She was a 52-year-old mother of six who had disappeared in April while living along Prospect Avenue. She's described as being an African-American woman who is 5'6", 150 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. Serena did have her struggles, there's no doubt about that, but she also had a family that loved her through them. Her niece told KCUR that when she tried to report her aunt missing, the detective asked her, why do you care? There are no words to express the level of rage that response elicits, but it gets worse. She called back a few days later, checking in for any updates and reports that she was told Kansas City is too big to look for one person. No, it's not. The video didn't go as viral as it should have, but it did pick up a little bit of traction, just enough so that the KCPD issued a statement and you can imagine how disappointing that statement wound up being. They essentially said that the video was nothing but a rumor and it wasn't based on quote unquote any factual basis. They stated that there were no official reports about the seven missing and murdered women mentioned by Caldwell. That statement was not going to age well, but of course, they made sure to encourage people to report any information they did have. And I'm going to go off on a little bit of a sidebar here and say that I live for good police work. I love a department that does their job like they have in countless cases we have covered, but that's not going to be the case here. 
There is a lot to be learned when it comes to true crime, and a lot of that is what a good investigation entails, whether that's reporting someone missing, next steps, and expectations of communication from law enforcement. On no planet should anyone be made to feel like their missing loved one doesn't matter, and to say that there were no reports of these seven missing and murdered women, at the very least, we know that Serena was reported missing and that didn't go well for her family, but I also don't see anywhere where names were mentioned. How can you know whether or not there are reports if you don't know who they're talking about? And we're going to be discussing some women who lived lifestyles that a lot of people won't agree with and were often high risk. That is what it is, but everyone has value, period. Just because someone has a past or is struggling, that does not make them worthless. We know that serial killers tend to seek out victims that they think no one will notice are missing, so maybe we should stop proving them right. I'm sure we all know someone who's gone through some really tough shit and maybe they've been able to turn their life around. Imagine if something happened to them when they were at their lowest point and no one cared enough to save them. That'd be pretty fucking terrible. And now I'm done with my sidebar and we'll get back to the case. While no one seemed to want to pick up the story of the missing and murdered women, you can bet that several outlets reported on KCPD's statement, which essentially squashed the story and silenced the Kansas City defender. It was a deafening moment when it felt like these women may get the attention they needed, but all of that would be changing soon in a terrifying way. A few weeks later, breaking news came out of Excelsior Springs. It's a small town about 40 miles northeast of Kansas City. The news that came out of there would prove that Bishop Caldwell's claims in that video were not just rumors. On October 7th, at around 7.45 a.m., residents living on Don Shelton Boulevard in Excelsior Springs saw a 22-year-old black woman named TJ running and crying out for help. She had very obvious injuries and seemed terrified of something or someone. According to court documents, TJ had on latex lingerie and a metal dog collar, which was padlocked around her neck. There was also tape wrapped around her neck and bleeding ligature marks on her wrists. TJ was able to make it to the house of a nearby grandmother who let her in and kept her safe until police arrived. While they waited, TJ's body shook uncontrollably and she insisted that her captor was going to show up and kill her. TJ told the grandmother that she had escaped from a nearby house where a man had kept her captive since early September. She was able to find a window of time to escape when the man left to take his son to school. A child had been in the house that she had been held captive in for a month. The grandmother was shaken to say the least and did the only thing she could do in that moment. She gave TJ muffins and water and hoped to everything that the police would get there fast. According to KCTV, when first responders arrived, their first order of business was taking off that padlock on the metal collar around TJ's neck because it was making it hard for her to breathe. TJ told police officers that in early September, a man named Timothy had picked her up on Prospect Avenue. 
He took her to his home in Excelsior, which TJ said she could point out to them. Timothy had held her hostage in a small room he'd built in the basement and had restrained her ankles and wrists with handcuffs that were attached to the walls. While TJ was restrained, Timothy tortured her with physical and sexual violence that's honestly unspeakable. I had a hard time deciding what was appropriate to share here, and it was very difficult. To sum it up, I'm just going to say that she was physically and sexually terrorized with different objects, some of which included electrical currents and left burns on her body. She endured a kind of evil that's hard to comprehend, and according to TJ, she wasn't the only victim. She told police that her friends didn't make it because Timothy had killed them. TJ was taken to the hospital, and on the way, she pointed to a home on the corner of Old Orchard Avenue and South Kimball Street that she said was the house she had been held captive in. TJ made a full recovery at the hospital and was released the same day. She had never been reported missing, so when police maybe brush things off because of who hasn't been reported missing, women like TJ become invisible. Knowing about the house on the corner, police looked into who lived there and found that it was being rented by a 39-year-old white man named Timothy Haslett Jr. TJ had clearly stated that her abductor's name was Timothy, so police set up near the house and waited for him to get back from dropping his son off at school. It turns out Tim had an unrelated animal control violation, so whatever happened next, he was getting arrested. About an hour after TJ escaped, Tim did come back home driving his gray Dodge Ram pickup. Police took him into custody, and according to KCTV, he didn't make any statements. Once Tim was in custody, police got to work pulling out warrants to search his house. They were not hard to get, and inside, they found that basement room TJ had mentioned earlier. It was just how she had described it. The Washington Post reported that this room was a dungeon-like cell that had been painted black with various devices to restrain someone. This was an evil person who had gone to the trouble of painting a room to set the mood for what appeared to be a torture chamber. And judging by the state of TJ when she escaped, its sole purpose seemed to be the confinement and torture of his captive. This is a kind of sadistic calculation that makes you question all of humanity. Unable to unsee what they had found and knowing TJ said her friends didn't make it out, investigators searched the home for any signs of other victims. They processed it from top to bottom and even brought in cadaver dogs, but they didn't find any signs of anyone else. That didn't matter, though, because one TJ is one too many. And by the end of October 7th, Tim was charged with rape, kidnapping and assault and held on a $500,000 bond. Tim's ex-wife immediately filed for full custody of their eight-year-old son, and a temporary restraining order against Tim was put into place. This is the part where we talk about who Timothy Hassett Jr. is. Tim graduated high school in Illinois back in 2001, then joined the Navy. He was discharged in January of 2002, which definitely sounds like there's a story there. Normal turns of the military are generally four years long, so something happened before he even got halfway into his. The Navy hasn't provided any details on his discharge, but one fellow enlistee told the Washington Post that Tim made enemies quick because of his racist commentary. 
His blatant racism will become a common theme in this case. A guy on Facebook who claimed to have been in boot camp with Tim also commented under one of Tim's profile pictures and made some pretty damning accusations. I'm unfortunately not going to list them here because I can't confirm them, but I can tell you that the comment is public. After getting discharged from the Navy, Tim moved to Missouri and worked for the railroad. He got married in 2013 and had a son, but three years later, in 2016, he and his wife got divorced. The year he divorced is the same year he moved into that house of horrors on Old Orchard Avenue. Tim didn't have any violent criminal history that I could find, just a bunch of traffic citations. Neighbors told KSHB that they rarely saw Tim and didn't interact with him. Some mentioned seeing him walking with his son on occasion, but they never heard anything unusual like screams or anything coming from his house. Once out of the Navy, Tim continued to be a racist piece of shit, specifically on social media where what you say is public forever. There are a ton of examples, but I want to start with a kind of long one because it really paints a picture of who this guy is at his core, which is a giant steaming pile of rat shit. He said, and I hate to quote, when they stop looting, we can talk. When they stop rioting, we can talk. When they decide to act like my equal, then we can discuss their equality. And I genuinely wish they would because that's a conversation that desperately needs to happen. When they're ready to have a grown-up conversation, when they're willing to stop blaming people like me, who never did a fucking thing to oppress them for all that's wrong in their life, when they can grasp that I'm not responsible for my ancestors' actions any more than they're guilty just because they're black, when they can look me in the eye and say that we're both equals, then they'll have my absolute support. When I will not yield to the demands of petulant children, 100 bucks says he doesn't know what petulant means because he didn't even know how to spell it. Anyway, let's keep going. That I have no regard for the harm of their actions on innocent people and think that equality means giving them special treatment over another race. When they're prepared to act like equals, I'll treat them like one. Until then, why should I give a rat's ass about a bunch of thugs and animals that would take everything I have from me if they get the chance? Why should I enable them to get a chance to raise a knife to my throat? Because I've seen absolutely no evidence that equality is what they're actually after. Superiority seems more like it. But it seems very difficult to tell right now because both goals are pointed the same direction. But by the time it becomes clear which, it'll be too late and I'll be goddamned if I'll ever yield to some black power regime over my dead body or theirs. So yeah, I'll continue supporting racist, oppressive policing of the blacks because as long as they're choosing to act like my enemy, then oppressed is exactly where they need to be. In another post, he said... Pictures of Brianna Taylor and her criminal boyfriend posing with guns. Wait, what's the caption say? Partners in crime? Tell me again how innocent she was and how this is all the big bad policeman's fault. 
This right here is why Blacks don't get taken seriously, because there's always more to the story that gets left out, and because in every single instance, it's always someone else's fault, and they're completely innocent. I honestly can't remember once in my life hearing a Black person take responsibility for anything except looting and rioting. (sighs) For anyone who does not know, Breonna Taylor, an ER tech, was shot and killed by police after they attempted to execute a no-knock warrant at her apartment. Her boyfriend thought someone was breaking in, so he fired at police and they fired back. Eight bullets struck Brianna, killing her while she slept. Tim made a long, drawn-out rant, essentially blaming Brianna Taylor for her own death and seemed to want the sleeping ER tech to take responsibility for being shot eight times in her sleep. I would like to issue a formal apology to the entire world that people like Tim exist. I can almost guarantee you that this baby bitch little gremlin of a man still ties his shoes with bunny ears and drinks milk with his dinner before perusing Twitter and Discord in his foil hat looking for the only strangers in the world desperate enough to agree with him on fucking anything. He despised people of color, specifically women of color, and it was a woman of color who had been chained up and sexually tortured in his fucking basement. I rarely say that I am big mad, but I am big fucking mad seething. (sighs) Let's keep going. Police continued their search of Tim's house on October 8th. When they were done, they boarded up the windows and put up a fence around the house. Investigators were seen leaving the home carrying bags of evidence, which included multiple guns and hard drives full of pornography. I don't even want to imagine what kind of sick shit he had on hard drives, emphasis on the plural. The following day, police said they were going through all of the evidence they collected from the house, which included more than 1,000 items. And while they still didn't seem to find any evidence of other victims, it was a very open investigation and additional charges were certainly a possibility. On October 17th, it was announced that the Clay County Investigative Squad Task Force had joined the investigation into Tim and any other crimes he might have committed. The force said that so far, there were no current reports of missing people that matched the evidence they had gathered. Naturally, that did not sit well with the residents of Kansas City since TJ had been missing since early September and no one had officially reported that. What if there was another TJ out there or several other TJs? Many people said that they had tried to report their family members missing but couldn't because KCPD has wild rules for reporting missing persons. They're so ridiculous that I thought there was no way it was true, but I cross-checked multiple sources and they all said the same thing. According to the Kansas City Beacon, the department will only take a report for a missing adult if they find out the person was last seen in Kansas City and if they meet an additional requirement, including a strong indication of foul play or having been the subject of past threats, acts of violence, or recent domestic disputes. That is insane because not every missing person is going to fall under those immediate categories. We have covered so many cases where we knew that something was very off about someone's disappearance, but police couldn't establish any formal signs of foul play for months. To make this even more ridiculous, I found an article by Fox 4KC 
that says the former chief had disbanded the missing persons unit the previous year. These families had to feel like they were screaming at the top of their lungs with no sound coming out. People like Bishop Caldwell listened and tried to raise awareness about what was going on, but they got shut down with statements about how there was no factual basis to what they were saying. No one wanted to write about the girls, but they sure as shit wrote about the cops shutting down the man talking about the girls. The entire time, at the very least, two women were very much missing from the prospect area, Serena and TJ. At least one of the women didn't have an official police report saying they were missing, and it's up for debate whether or not one was ever made for Serena. Regardless, they were both very much missing, with TJ chained up in a basement and Serena... Well, that same month, a woman called police after her dog started digging in her backyard and found human remains. According to the Kansas City Beacon, the remains found belong to none other than 52-year-old mother of six, Serena Truitt. A homicide investigation into her death is still ongoing. Even after TJ escaped, the Casey Police Department continued to maintain that the claims made in Bishop Caldwell's TikTok video were completely unfounded. Caldwell didn't back down, though. He shared with the Kansas City Defender that a description of the possible serial killer seen around the Prospect area had matched Tim. Now, I haven't been able to find that description, but Bishop Caldwell has been onto something here. He said something could have been done back then. There's a possibility their loved ones could have been saved if folks would have acted back when our community was first making these reports instead of waiting for the young lady to escape. If she didn't escape, we would have never known. Truly, we would have never known this was happening. Caldwell added, I'm just sorry that it took so long, but I'm grateful that TJ found a way out. I'm sorry people didn't act on it sooner, and it's absolutely tragic that the other young ladies didn't make it. It's horrible. While police were looking into Tim and any other crimes he might have committed, Tim was spending his time fighting with his ex-wife over visitation and that restraining order regarding their son. According to the Excelsior Citizen, in November, Tim wrote an eight-page letter to the judge overseeing the case. In the letter, he asked the judge to stop blocking visitation with his son. He argued that the restraining order violated his constitutional rights, and he provided various asinine reasons for why he should be able to see his child. Tim said news outlets had portrayed him unfairly, presenting a one-sided narrative that is improper, unjust, and unfair, and should not be used as evidence against him in the family courts. So we've established here that Tim doesn't know the definition of unfair, but let's keep going. He wrote, as to the nature of the claim itself that my son and ex-wife are in danger or in any immediate risk of physical harm by me or anyone at my behest, I say that any such claim is spurious and not born from any speck of truth, and any claim otherwise is slanderous. Dude had a painted torture room in his basement with chains on the walls, but sure, be around the children, said no one. Tim also wrote, and for anecdotal evidence, let me personally say that I would never, ever harm my son. My son is my only purpose for life. I love him more than words can describe. It breaks my heart that I'm not there for him right now as I should be. 
And Tim's broken heart is literally the least of anyone's worries ever. His ex-wife was obviously given full custody of their son, and according to KSHB, the judge ruled that the severity of Tim's alleged offenses make it unlikely he will be released from detention in the foreseeable future and render him no longer able to provide a reasonable or safe living environment for his child. To say the least, sir, to say the least. The judge also ordered Tim not to have any contact with his child, ruling that it would be unreasonable and unsafe until he undergoes a psychological evaluation regarding his fitness to have contact with his son. So, like, never. On January 11th, 2023, things took a very strange turn. Authorities announced that they were looking for a 36-year-old black female from Kansas City named Janie Crossdale. They said she was a witness and that she might have important information that could help with the investigation. They'd apparently been trying to reach her but weren't able to find her, almost like she was missing. When the announcement didn't help them locate Janie, authorities went so far as to put up billboards around Kansas City that read, Have you seen Janie Crossdale? Witness an Excelsior Springs kidnapping. There was an unusually large amount of effort being put into finding a witness, which begged the question whether or not they were really looking for her for information or if they were looking for her because they were worried about her. In February of 2023, a grand jury formally indicted Tim on nine different charges. One count of felony rape, four counts of felony sodomy, one count of felony kidnapping, two counts of felony assault, and one count of endangering the welfare of a child for leaving unsecured firearms accessible to his eight-year-old son. His bond was set at $3 million, and if found guilty, he faces life in prison. Following Tim's indictment, the prosecutor said, We would not be here today if not for the bravery of one woman and the tireless efforts of the men and women of 16 separate law enforcement agencies. Authorities noted that they were still searching for Janie Crossdale, but that search would come to a soul-stopping end four months later. On June 24th, two people were kayaking down the Missouri River near the Hills Island chute when they found a blue barrel with the lid on. If you're silently repeating, don't open it, don't open it, don't open it, you are not alone, but they opened it. Inside the blue barrel, they found the body of a woman in an advanced stage of decomposition. It took a little over a month, but on July 30th, the body in the barrel was identified as the missing witness, Janie Crossdale. Even though police weren't sure of her exact cause of death since the autopsy results still weren't available, they were considering her death a homicide, and they all said, duh. Jamie did not put herself in that barrel and then put that barrel into the river. Police said they weren't certain whether or not Tim played a part in Janie's death, but they were investigating whether the barrel resembled the ones on Tim's property. So we don't know the names of TJ's friends, but I'm certain that she does. Police wanted to locate Janie so bad that they put up billboards and she was found in a barrel in the river. A barrel that apparently matched barrels on Tim's property. Dungeon Tim had fucking barrels that matched the barrel Janie was found in. I feel like buying a barrel at this point should automatically put you on some kind of federal list, but that's a discussion for another day. Law enforcement never gave a clear timeline of Janie's disappearance, but they did say that they believed Tim and Janie talked when she was still alive. 
People close to her family told KSHB that they thought Janie might have gone missing in the summer of 2022, which is the same summer that TJ was held captive and tortured. In a press conference, police stated, Our office is working closely with law enforcement to gather all evidence and information that is needed to build the strongest case possible and deliver justice for Janie Crossdale. The family of Crossdale has been notified, and our hearts go out to them for their loss. Janie's family spoke to Fox 4 and stated, We are deeply saddened at this horrific news. We are, however, relieved that we finally get to have a proper burial for her. She was truly loved and will be missed. To be clear, Janie's family said that they did not think she was involved in sex work. I wanted to make sure I put that out there. Janie's family also spoke with the Kansas City Defender about their frustrations with KCPD. They said that from the very beginning, they didn't think Janie was a witness like she was portrayed. They knew she was a victim. They were pretty upset when police referred to her as a witness and not the victim that they believed she was and felt like it almost made it seem like Janie was somehow involved in Tim's crimes. To make matters worse, law enforcement didn't talk to Janie's family before they announced to the media that she was a witness. The family said, The first we heard of her being involved in this situation was in the news, just like everybody else. When we finally got in contact with police, they made it very clear to us that she could potentially be a victim. So why would they release that other information to the public? The police defended their decision to call Janie a witness and not a victim, saying that investigators initially thought she saw or experienced something that would give them more information into the investigation into Tim. At the time, they didn't have anything to say she was a victim. They just knew the two had contact. But that's certainly not the information her family seemed to have gotten. The police said they weren't sure exactly when Tim and Janie had contact. It was believed it was prior to TJ escaping. However, they didn't believe that Janie and TJ knew each other or saw each other in Tim's home. And if that's the case, what would have made her a witness? Police described Tim as a potential suspect in Janie's death. The Excelsior Springs police chief told the Kansas City Star, My personal opinion, he's done more than what he's already charged for, but being able to prove that is a totally different thing. It feels like DNA is probably going to play a very large role in this case. The Clay County Prosecutor's Office immediately filed a motion to raise Tim's bond after Janie's remains were identified. They said they'd been provided details of an ongoing investigation, which impacted the present case, and those additional details caused greater concern for the safety of the community than had previously been addressed. No shit. During the bond hearing, very little was mentioned about Janie's death, but Fox 4 reported that prosecutors presented evidence that Janie was inside Tim's home before he was arrested, just how long before, we don't know at this point. In the end, the judge ruled that his raised $3 million bond was high enough because Tim was a public defender client and there was no way he'd ever be able to post $3 million in cash, which is true, but still on this end, I want to see that go up to $5 million if for nothing but principal, but I understand that's not how bail works. Following the bond hearing, authorities went back to the Missouri River to search again. Why, do you ask? They said that they had reason to believe additional evidence may be contained in another blue barrel and asked the public to keep an eye out. Let me get this straight. There is another blue barrel that they think is just willy-nilly floating out in the river and they want people to just keep an eye out? 
I certainly hope that they told people not to open it when they did, because what in the fuck is happening right now? The Kansas City Defender criticized the police for how they handled the entire situation and said the police didn't take the threat seriously from the start. Instead of treating Janie Crossdale as someone who might be in danger, they publicly called her a potential witness in an ongoing case and published her photo. The Defender wrote that this, and I quote, indicates a profound failure to understand the depth of danger at hand. Their denial and dismissal of the situation have led not only to the tragic loss of Janie Crossdale's life, but have also placed the broader public at greater risk. Their actions, built on a foundation of lives, have potentially endangered countless lives, a terrifying consequence of their decision to put their reputation before the safety of the community. And I do want to note here, though, that we don't know when Janie died. This seems to teeter on the speculation that maybe she was killed because she was a witness. But looking at the totality of the evidence here, I would guess that she was probably killed prior to Tim's arrest. Granted, that's just my assessment of the facts available and anything is possible at this point. As much as I hate to say this, that was the last update we have in this case. That TJ escaped, a woman referred to as a witness was found in a barrel, and there may be another barrel out there. Tim's next court hearing is set for October 9th, and rest assured, I will update you with any new information. Until then, I'll leave you with this Facebook comment Tim made in 2014 that has aged quite poorly for him. And I quote, Here's the bottom line. Criminals aren't scared of rehabilitation. Nobody does hard time anymore. Take the luxuries out of prison. Institute statutory sentences for crimes. Eliminate parole and good time awards. If you go to prison, it should be 24 hours in a concrete box with no AC, no heat, no internet, no gym, and no school. You work the chain gang in 100 degree heat and full coveralls and shackles. You do your full time. Make prison a punishment. Make the cost of committing a crime so severe that criminals decide it's not worth it. We can't rehabilitate these people because for most, prison is better than the life in the free world. But if you make prison much worse than a free life, more criminals will reevaluate their life choices. One can only wonder if they've turned off his AC yet. For photos pertaining to this case, check out the Crimes of Timothy Hassett Jr. highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there today at noon Eastern, where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. To get access to ad-free and bonus episodes, subscribe to our Apple Premium or head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just two whole dollars a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you love the podcast, feel free to leave a review. It makes my day every single time. And if you have a case you'd like to hear covered, share it with Big Mad True Crime on social media because all cases are covered by listener request. I'll be bringing you a brand new case next week, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out. Okay, guys, we are officially at the end of this episode, and I have said this line a hundred times because it won't come out of my mouth correctly, but it means that it is time to share a review that made my entire day because you guys are the best, and I love you so much. This one is from Scully Mama, love your username, and says, I'm pretty sure Heather Ashley lives in my head. She says, all snarky things I'm already thinking, the quick-witted attention to detail is awesome. Scully Mama, we just became best friends. I love you so much. You guys are the best. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Okay, love you. Bye.